0: you've decided to make singing your vocation. Now what? You may be struggling to balance your life and a career in music. Are you curious about how other singers make it or how they've dealt with success and failure? Do you wonder what their biggest challenges have been or how about what they've learned on their journey and what's important to them today? Hi, I'm Valerie Day, a singer, educator, and creative explorer. You might know me from my work with the Grammy-nominated band New Shoes. Welcome to Living a Vocal Life, where I interview singers who have succeeded in creating a life in music. You'll hear from vocalists of all genres in different stages of their careers, including singers who've been on the Billboard charts and those who are teaching the next generation. What do they have in common? They're all performers with amazing stories to tell and experiences to share. In our conversations, you'll learn what inspired them to become a singer, the kinds of challenges they've encountered, and how they've overcome them. I'll also share what I've learned on my own journey as a singer and educator, practical tools and insights that will help you to live your best, most authentic vocal life. Today I'll be talking with my very first guest on this podcast, Moana Wolfgram from the 80s band, The Jets. I first met Moana when we were on tour together in 1986. She was just 12 years old, traveling around the country in a tour bus with her seven siblings. The Jets were on their first world tour, which had started in 1985 after the release of their platinum selling record on MCA, The Jets. From 1985 to 1990, the band accumulated eight top 10 singles. Crush on You, which peaked at number three in July of 1986, Probably bumped our song off the charts. Moana and I reconnected over a year ago when we found ourselves on Alan Beck's Super Freestyle Explosion tour. Her voice still thrills me, and her take on life as a singer is one that I know you're going to enjoy. So thank you, Moana, for being here
1: on my very first podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I feel pretty honored and excited to do this with you. Well, thanks for being here.
0: I, I, uh, I guess in my mind, you were going to be the first guest always because some of the conversations that we'd had on the road about what it's like to be a singer and the different ways that um, that this kind of career impacts your life, uh, I don't know, I just loved your take on it. And you've had such an extraordinary life. I mean, you're, the the intro just barely scratches the surface of what you've done. Um, but I want to start kind of in a different Place. I wanted to find out what your first memory of singing is.
1: Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think when I was about four years old is kind of the first time our family started doing entertaining entertainment. And uh, I think I was about seven. We learned a Donnie and Marie song, a duet that my sister Elizabeth and I did. About seven years old, always watched my mother sing. She was actually the original lead singer of our family band. Um, And she sang everything from Donna Summers to, you know, Olivia Newton-John and all of that. But I was about seven years old when we started singing. And um, we were all intrigued with Olivia Newton-John. My mother listened to her and Anne-Marie and um, Captain Intanil. Those were kind of her favorites. So how did that family band get started? Um, My parents are immigrants from the islands of the South Pacific called Tonga. the smallest island kingdom in the south pacific and they immigrated to america in 1965. um they were both always very musical in fact our culture is very musical and they had 10 children and were struggling to find a way to raise their family along the way they had always done polynesian music on the side and because of this big intrigue with hawaii and elvis and polynesian music um they were able to get work and um they were struggling to figure out how to raise their 10 children. I was the eighth, I was the eighth to the, in the family. And they stumbled on watching a variety show with the Jacksons and the Osmonds. And they had 10 kids. And my dad was like, okay, the light went off in his head and said, we're musical. You know, our kids learn fast. And that's kind of how we got our start. My parents sat us down. I was pretty young. So it's my older siblings that remember a lot more. But they sat us down. In a family home evening and said we've got to decide what we're going to do as a family are we going to do our landscaping business and just do yard work because that's what my dad did or are we going to pick music and do something as a family and i guess the vote was music and everybody um put their heads together my dad was one of those one of those interesting characters in the neighborhood where he didn't speak very good english but he was always a determined person so he Went off to a music store, purchased a whole bunch of instruments, brought them home, set it up, and nobody knew how to play anything. Just my mom knew how to play the guitar, and he said, "If if we can start a band, then we can do this together." And you know, we all have the talent; it's in our blood. And started with my brother Leroy, who was the oldest. Took my mom; he went with my mom, and her. She had a little island band that they used to go to, and he picked up guitar off of her, and then on the radio, and then kind of learned the bass the drums, the keyboards, and then my dad assigned everybody else an instrument. Elizabeth and I at the time were kind of the youngest ones, and we just sang and danced, and that's kind of how our family got our start. We started doing all kinds of Christmas parties, luau's, senior citizen homes, and anything we could do to get the family to perform together, and that's how we made our living. Eventually, our parents took us on the road and bought a rundown motorhome and just took us across the West Coast, especially up into Canada. Everyone thought he was crazy. And pretty much that's how we got our start. We were a bunch of gypsy kids kind of just traveling with our parents, to, you know, working, making gigs. And his his all his family thought he was nuts, but he could see something that nobody else could. And that's kind of how we got our start.
0: Wow. that's It's such an amazing story because unlike a lot of people, um, you didn't go through that And I'm assuming this, maybe you did later, Um, but you didn't go through this, this period of time of trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with my life? I mean, you just, you were born (laughs) and and you, you, you were doing it, you know, before you even know what
1: it was, (laughs) it was just like life. It was, it's like, it's, it's like a, it's a good and bad thing because, you know, I guess you're right. Most, now that I'm a mother myself, we're trying to help our children find an avenue that they're interested in or, you know, really help their talents. Our parents kind of just zeroed in on something and went for it. And for that, I'm, I'm kind of grateful. I think in the beginning, everyone was super shy. All of us were naturally kind of more on the shy side. But my sister Elizabeth had this big voice from her little body. And everyone was always amazed that she could sound just like an Olivia, Olivia Newton-John. And I was kind of her sidekick. Um, they were She was afraid to be on the stage in front of people. And I was her like her best buddy. We were just a year apart. Um, and so I'd sing backgrounds or harmonize with her and that's how uh, we got kind of started like that, but you're right, our parents kind of picked a path for us and said if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it head on and go for it. Um, so yeah, I guess in that way it's it was a blessing that they kind of gave us an avenue and it actually turned out you know like I know a lot of families just start a band and then they laugh about it later and say, oh yeah, we had a family band. it was pretty funny. Um, but for us it was fortunate that we were able to hone that craft and turn it into something, Um, that we would have never dreamed of could happen.
0: And the story of how it actually happened is amazing to me. I mean, we were just with you, uh, John and I playing in Guam, um, which was an amazing thing that we got to go there with you and do a show. (laughs) And part of my uh, fondest memories of that trip was hearing more stories about how things happened for you guys way back in the eighties. Because when I first met you, um, you know, you were a teenager and, and there was a lot going on. So we were touring together, but I didn't really get to know you because I was about 15 years older, I think.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, when we're on the road, we don't really, the artist is just performance, next show, next city and so much. You're right. So much is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Too much
0: going on. And, and you just got to get back on the bus and, and do it all over again. So it's kind of like waving across the parking lot <laughs> is what you kind of end <laughs> yeah, up doing. See you at the next city. Yeah, exactly. So I just loved finding out all this um, backstory about how things happened for you. And one of the most amazing pieces of it, I think, is when you were traveling all around the country doing these Polynesian shows. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Sure. When we um, about early '80s, um, there was a contract offered to my parents. They are looking for a Polynesian review show because they had just opened up these Hawaiian Inn hotels, and there was a chain of them in the Midwest, Iowa, North Dakota, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, and people that couldn't afford to go all the way to Hawaii would come to the Hawaiian Inn, and they wanted to be able to bring them a little piece of Hawaii. So our family would be the hosts. We would, sh- we would show up in the front lobby when their bus would roll in, and we'd give them lays, and then they'd come and stay, and it'd be this whole tropical theme. And then one of the evenings would be a luau. My dad and my brothers would roast a pig, and they'd They would work with the chefs to have like a big catering Polynesian style. And then we were the review show. We would put on a big Polynesian show for them. And we did this for two years. We lived in the hotels and we would travel from hotel like Des Moines to North Dakota to Minneapolis, you know, to different places in Iowa. Um, And unfortunately, the hotel... know the idea didn't really stick with people i think they really want to go to the islands and after that our family the 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 hotel chain went bankrupt and we were stranded in minneapolis um we didn't really know what to do but the very last hotel the owners felt pretty bad for us and they said you can probably work here but if we've noticed that before your polynesian show you guys do like a top 40 set and you do a top 40 set if you could stick with the top 40 set we'll let you guys perform in our lounge on the weekends, you know, and then if it does well, we'll let you come on the weekdays. So um, that's what our family did. We kind of ditched the Polynesian review and then um, concentrated on being a top 40 band. Uh, we were called the Polynesian pearls and we were looking for a new name and our brothers, we were all big fans of earth, Wind, and fire, you know, the big silver getup, like space outfits. And our brothers are like, we got to find a name. That sounds really cool. And they found the name Quasar. It kind of sounded like the most powerful force in the universe, Quasar. And we come out in these big, shiny outfits that our mom made. And we became a a top 40 band. And we ended up just kind of doing the circuit in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Um, just running any lounge we could get to. Surprisingly, we did really well. They were shocked that we were ages, I think I was about nine, eight or nine. um, And my brother was 15 or 16. And we could go into a nightclub and we could cover songs from Journey to Eleven Newton-John to Midnight Star. We were doing everything we could and, you know, we would change it up depending on what characters walked in the door. If it was a guy with a cowboy hat, we'd pull out some Ricky Skaggs and Willie Nelson um, and we would change it up. But we got, had a little name for ourselves in the cities as a really good variety uh, band. But um, yeah, that's kind of how we got stranded in Minneapolis.
0: Wow. Which actually turned out to be the best place for you to get
1: stranded because of Don Powell. Yes, we were we doing top 40 music in the Twin Cities. And one of our local agents had said, hey, there's a guy that um, used to work for Motown Records. He was, you know, he's retired and selling cars at a dealership. And we used to see his infomercial at night, his commercial at night, selling Ford vans and cars. And they said, if you can get him to come and see you, maybe he'll have a connection. And, you know, we were too young to really understand everything. It's just my dad would say, there's a guy we need to get a hold of. He has the connections. So our agents reached out. He wouldn't answer. Um, when he tried to reach I wouldn't answer. And I think we caught him off guard and called him. And he couldn't find an excuse and said, fine, where are the kids performing at? And it happened to be just a few blocks from his home in Maple Grove, Minnesota. So Don Powell came out to see us. He was a retired Motown rep who was Stevie Wonder's first manager, and also David Bowies. So he comes out to see us thinking he'll just, you know, mark it off his list. And he was kind of shocked at the talent from one family. He couldn't believe it was all brothers and sisters. And then he was shocked at the voices that were coming out of the two girls. And he was just like, that's crazy. She sounds amazing. They sound sound so mature for their age. So he came back a second night without us knowing and snuck in and kind of watched us from the side. And he was like, yep, that's the voice. And um, he called us back and said, you know what, maybe we should meet. Um, He was impressed that we were a self-contained band and had a voice. Elizabeth had the most mature voice and I was kind of singing with her. And that's kind of how he ended up signing us as a management till. And it worked out great because Prince had just come on the scene with Purple Rain and record companies had been kind of looking into Minneapolis. They were they're already had tired of being in L.A. and New York and came and looked into Minneapolis and was just looking at new artists, a new style of music. And while Don Powell packaged us and got us ready to pitch um, to different record companies, MCA Records um, stumbled on us. The guy's name was uh, Gerald Busby and Louis Silas. And eventually they signed us and we uh, we were signed to MCA Records. I was about 10 years old and Leroy was about 18. Wow. It's weird that Minneapolis was perfect for us. <laughs> it was the, you know, as they say, uh,
0: sometimes these things that look bad when when they happen end up being the best thing ever. I mean, you know, from, from oh, wow, okay, we just lost our main gig and we have nowhere to really go. Right. And what are we going to do to... Um, Quasar, which I love the story about Earth, Wind, and Fire.
1: <laughs> I mean, because
0: yeah. we we're big Earth, Wind, and Fire fans too, and just just the fact that your mom made those costumes and you came out and you were all, you know, the show was happening yeah. and your brothers found this name. I just I hadn't heard that story before either. It's 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 fabulous.
1: Well, unfortunately, Quasar didn't stick. Our manager said it sounds too much like a TV set, but I think he could get the gist of what we were, <laughs> we, were we were going yeah. for. And yeah, I can totally picture it. Yes, he said, We got to find you a name, but what is your last name? And our last name was Wolfgram. It's German. Our German ancestors came to the Polynesian islands and married Polynesian women. They were merchants. And that's how we got the Wolfgram as our last name. But he said, None of you look German, and we've got to find you a name that sticks. And he was coming up for a show to watch us and heard Benny and the Jets on the radio by Elton John. And he said, I found the name, The Jets. That's going to be the name. He said it was short, easy to say. You could stick it on merchandise, a button, a shirt, a you know, a hat. Um, and the people could chant it. It'd be easy for them to chant. And that's how we got the name The Jets. So
0: you guys performed
1: basically, I don't know, your whole lives. When did this run with The Jets end? Well, we were with MCA Records and did seven albums, uh, seven CDs um, with MCA. And I think it, we, it came to an end right around 1990, 1991. Um, you know, the Jets came out in 1985, and we were so fortunate to have two albums that did really well for us. And that it sprung off, you know, eight top tens in different areas was great. But our manager had mentioned to us that there's going to kind of come a time when radio is going to have to take a break from the Jets. And that there's going to be new people in the, on the scene and new kids on the block. Um, which is really funny because, you know, we had we'd gone to Boston and done a few shows there. And one of the shows they said There's this new kids group. They're really excited. Thank you for letting them perform with you. They'd love to meet you. They're called the new kids on the block. And we met them. And two months later, you know, two months later, we were warming up for them. They had just risen, you know, to the top of the charts with their first and second single. And just like that, our you know, Don had been corrected. You know, you, the business is a very interesting kind of a business. And uh, when you're kids, you just, it's like a circus, you're on tour. And then suddenly MCA dropped us in, I think, 1991. And then we had to figure out what we were going to do after that.
0: Yeah, it's not an easy thing. And even if you kind of know it's going to happen and and somebody's warned you that, you know, the, the trajectory of a pop star is like up and then down, Um, yes, you, you know, you just don't know what that feels like until it actually happens. And you've been on this incredible ride. I mean, that's a lot of records to make. And you guys were on TV and toured all the time. And it was, it's an extraordinary run. Yes.
1: Yes. So you, you definitely understand that. Yeah. I I totally do. (laughs) Except that
0: when it happened to me, I was in my twenties. I was in my, you know, I was 27 when we. Uh, got a record deal, and that's a very different vantage point. I'd had a lot of years to
1: yeah, that's true.
0: I'd had a lot of years to figure out who I who I was, and um, mm-hmm. and sort of something to you know. I kept telling myself, okay, I know that this isn't going to last forever. So, and who am I without it? You know, like it, it, when it when it does end, am I still going to be okay? You know, I need right. to because a lot of a lot of people they have real trouble with that. So. So the, the Jets um, stopped performing and, and then you got
1: married. By the time the Jets are dropped from our record company, I'm 16, 17 years old um, and just starting and we're done. You know, um, they've moved on to, you know, a whole new set of artists and the Jets are kind of on the way out. And so for someone at that age, you're right. The vantage point of being like in your teens, you're just getting your life started So our career ends at 18 when all my friends are just getting off to college. I was out of school and being tutored from age 11 till, you know, 16, 17. And all my my friends who've gotten to go to school are just so ready to get out of the house and finally find their dreams and come to it. And we are, here we are like, oh, we don't have a career anymore. And we didn't have anything set up for a future. You know, our parents had always just thought music, 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 and they were immigrants as well. And nothing else. And then you hit 17, 18 and you're suddenly back in the lounges and the casino showrooms, their little bars and clubs. And yeah, it's just a huge, different arrangement (laughs) for what happens. And that's what I mean by the business can really. um, Yeah, it's, you know, fame is one thing. The success is one thing. And then we've got this family dynamic where it's the only thing that makes money for our growing family. And take in mind that the Jets were the eight oldest in the family, but we had nine younger siblings. My goodness. And our parents were continuing to have kids while we were on tour. So you've got 15 to 17 siblings and parents whose only goal is to have our family do this. And then the pressure starts to weigh, you know, no record company. So there's no, there's no support financially. There's no push for music. We're having issues with our management now and Wondering where the funds are going because we've stopped touring, and you know you've moved into a bigger home with your big family, and now how do we pay the mortgage? The reality sets in, and you're 18, and they don't have any other plans for you, but we gotta go gig, we gotta go find another gig. And so, how do you cope? You know what? We were just, um, we were so loyal. We never asked questions. We just worked, worked, worked. Um, we ended up switching managers, and our brothers managed us, and our parents, and it just went back to the pre-Don Powell days where nobody really knew where, the, where to start. As kids, when we walked into the record company, we walked under the wings of our, our manager and we never made real connections with anybody in the business. So once we got dropped, it was like we really didn't know anyone. We were kind of like, oh boy, well, we're going to have to go back to Minneapolis. I so know the
0: story. You know, the big, <laughs> one of the biggest things, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you right there, but no, that was ahead. such a big takeaway for me. And for us, um, in our career too, because we were busy being the artists, which is a wonderful thing.
1: And everybody else is doing everything for you.
0: (laughs) Right. And, and, and you want them to, especially after you've struggled for a number of years, you know, not with a record, without a manager, without a record company and doing it all yourselves. It's like, okay, yay, they're taking over. This is good. But yeah. It is all about relationships. And so if you don't build relationships within the company, with the agents, with the managers, with the promoters, with, with everyone, then when things
1: fall apart, you don't have those relationships either. Absolutely. yep, yeah, that's totally right. And that's really what happened to us. Our manager, before he left um, and stopped managing us, had offered to do a bunch of hotel showrooms, And he said, you know, there's there's a lot of groups that go through the peaks and valleys of the business, but I have an opportunity to keep you busy for a whole year. You'll make a good amount of money and you'll be able to sustain yourself as a family. But our brothers at the time were like, well, we're so used to doing arenas and big theaters that we're too big for these little hotel showrooms and passed on his offer. Mm -hmm. And in return, he said, there are groups bigger than you that are doing these. This is how they sustain themselves. And um yeah, it was kind of a downfall from there. You you get it to a big high and you get all the attention and the success, and then you hit the lowest of lows, and you're back in the weirdest places in podunk towns doing shows in these bars, and people come in who know you and say, "What are you guys doing here?" Right. And uh, yeah, it's like this humiliating change, you know. But that's all you know. That's and you know that was my story. Is it that the, when you're 12, 11, and that's all you've done for the first five, six years of your life from 12 to like 18, you you—that's—you don't know anything else. You've been so busy um, that you're like, well, the only way we know to do is to get a gig. I i don't think we can go to college. If we do, then the family um, doesn't thrive. Um, it was a lot of pressure for me right, and my sister, because we were both the lead singers of the band to yeah. remain in the family band and to remain in the business, but it was falling apart all around us. That's a
0: lot of pressure to have at that young age. And the thing that's amazing to me about your story and who I know you to be now is how you've navigated success and then the contrast between that that incredible ride that you had in your career early on, and then you took a 10-year break completely from singing at the end of this time period. Tell us a little bit about what that was like for you.
1: Um, it was It was one of those things where we had worked on the Vegas Strip, not in the big showrooms, just the little, you know, the lounges where people are, you're just kind of the background music um, at four in the morning. We were doing these lounges and we just, we felt so depressed just going to these shows. We do four shows, four sets a night in these little lounges in Vegas. And uh, you hit 19, 20 years old and you're just like, this is it. And you're walking into smoky casinos and nobody really cares that you're up there. You're just kind of there to get paid and do what the owner of the club wants you to do um, and um, yeah you just kind of feel like there's nowhere to go. During that time it was very stressful for our family and my sister Elizabeth who sang these with me had been diagnosed with breast cancer. She had found a lump in one of her breasts and uh, it was kind of a, it was scary for her. I felt like it was a manifestation of just the stress we were all going through and she was a very shy person so I think it just manifested itself in a like a tumor. But because of that, she immediately said, I'm going in for surgery. When I come out, I'm not doing anything that stresses me out. I'm going to do what makes me happy and I'm going to move on. And she had just gotten engaged Mm -hmm. and uh, my parents were really upset. I was stuck at Leeds. I picked up the Leeds and did them for a little while. And then we just had issues, financial issues. How do you raise this family, aging parents that hadn't worked in years? We were the ones that were breaking in the money, breadwinners. and um. She got married and moved on. And then a few years later, I got married and they lost their two front lead singers in the band. My brothers continued to try and revive a band with younger siblings, but um, they could really only get, you know, these these small shows in these little clubs. So I ended up in Hawaii with my husband for 10 years. And my sister Elizabeth was there for a while. Her husband's from Hawaii, too. And then um, everyone just kind of took a break. Kathy was the keyboard player. Eddie's saxophone. Everyone took a break because it just wasn't working. Mm hmm. And uh, I think it's much needed when you're that young. Oh, my goodness. Because you go through a full on depression, like, like you're going through a midlife crisis at 20 when you should be like, yay, I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to take on the world. Right. Um,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very, very different trajectory than most people. But it's similar in some ways. You know, there's everyone goes through this. I just can't imagine going through it at the ages that you guys were. It's um,
1: incredible that you came out of it (laughs) as as whole as you did. Yeah, I think that um, being a family was definitely a blessing for all of us. We were very close. We, We only had each other to begin with. So we hung on to each other's relationships and that helped. And then we, you know, we came from a faith where we just knew that God had given us a purpose and we just had to see what else he had in the cards for us. So those two things in mind, I think, just helped us move forward. We had some rocky relationships with our siblings, but after 10 years, um, we started to get that itch back. Like, we just missed it. By that time, I'd had six children. My sister Liz had seven. I'm a, I have a brother, the bass player, Heidi, that has 14 kids. And so we all still believed in family and relationships like that. So I think through the tough times, because we'd been kind of like raised like gypsy kids on the road, Um, we knew how to survive. So I know that that came into effect. Survivor mode was right into effect where we were just like, hey, we've been through rougher times than this. We'll be able to get through it. But when you have success and you don't have success, the extreme difference can, you know, be tricky for people. And you beat yourself up or you think, oh, why can't I make this happen? When really it's just, you know, we were dealt a deck of cards and had this luck for, you know, for a few years. And now we just have to take what we have and pick it up and then make the best of it with the experiences we have. So
0: what did success look like to you back in the day? And what does it look like
1: to you now? Wow. It's uh, definitely a stark difference. You, you work hard to make it with your dreams. And then you're given this blessing of being able to get music out and people enjoy it. And you, you feel the immediate response from radio fans, TV. Um, And you feel the blessing of your hard work, the fruits of your hard labor. Um, After success, I think it's more of like, where is your character? Do you believe in yourself no matter if the success leaves you? And I think um, success today is you you need to, to me. I need to be happy in my skin. I need to take the skills that I perfected or the things that I've really worked hard to and enjoy it and embrace it. And then just be happy with the circle that I'm able to influence or the people that I'm around that still enjoy it. You know, kind of just enjoy the opportunities you have, whether they're in an arena or whether they're just in your living room with your closest friends. Because you'll never be able to satisfy that urge for success if, if you're looking just for the stars and the fame. It's got to be something more so that it sustains you longer. And I think it's, to me, it's relationships and it's uh, being happy in your own skin, just being satisfied with where you're at and then hoping that you can still find a way to make it enjoyable. If you can make some money still, then great. If not, if you can share it, whatever you've learned, your craft, then there's where you find your outlet. That's kind of what I feel success is today. Wow.
0: Okay, Uh, you're my first podcast interviewee and my last because you've just said exactly... (laughs) You've just summarized the whole thing in a nutshell, actually right
1: there. Yeah, no, you can't. This is just the beginning. (laughs) Let all your walls come down. Let all your worries out now. I know you got some problems. I'm here to help you solve them.
0: Takeaway right here um, is that you do have to know you have to you come to have to come to know yourself and appreciate and love who you are and be comfortable in your own skin. And that that isn't an easy, easy thing to do. And it's definitely no. not an easy thing to do when the world is telling you one thing and then it goes right around and tells you the other thing. I mean, you know, it tells you yes. you're the be- best thing since sliced bread and now, oh yeah, no, you're oldie like <laughs> <laughs> You're oldie. We're out of <laughs> Yes. You know, I mean, so, yeah. And and then, I don't know, I feel like singers who aren't singing, there is a part of you that's always depressed, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I know that, I mean, 10 years is a long time. You were busy, though. I mean, you had <laughs> six kids during that time and a lot going on. But you needed that hiatus, it sounds like. I mean, you just needed that downtime.
1: Yeah, I, I've i never really known myself other than Moana of the Jets. So, I married my husband, moved to a little town in Hawaii, La'ie, and it was just me and my husband and my raising my kids. And I luckily married into a great family that kind of just wanted to see Wana. They just wanted to see me. And because your whole adolescent years are kind of taken away in the music business, it was really the first time that I was able to kind of see myself and be happy in my skin. Um, luckily, the islands do something to you. You, you take off, you, you kind of shed yourself from all the show clothes and you put on some flip flops and you walk on the beach and you sit on the ocean looking at the sunset and you just start to find yourself again. And that that 10 years was great for me. I had children and I learned a little bit more of who I was. I had a husband who, who definitely was patient with me because I, I didn't know how to grow up. I just knew one way as an artist you know, in my teens, so he helped me come out of that and see what kind of woman I was turning into and really embraced me and encouraged me. And it was really him that talked me into getting back into music. I missed it, but I, was, I hated the business of it. Yeah, I love the music. Every time I would hear someone sing, I'd be like, oh, I know that passion. I feel it. But I didn't want to get in the business because it, tore, it kind of tore our family apart. But uh, yeah, after 10 years, he was the one that said, you've got a voice. God gave you something. You've got to let it out. And I'm like, well, I'm in my 30s. I don't know how to do that. I'm going to be 40 soon. I don't, I don't really know how to do that. I feel like I'm kind of wasted my time and, you know, kind of lost my opportunity. And he said, you could never lose your opportunity. If he gave you a gift, it's got to be something that stays with you. It's just really up to you if you're going to, you know, make enhance it or if you're just going to bottle it up and bury it away. And that's what
0: I think is the thing. When people do that and they really are called to be singers, they have that gift and they know that the music part of it is a part of who they are, when they ball it away, it just, it does make them sad. And even if they're not like, I, I've just seen this with students and with, in my own family and with myself too, you know, I'll be uh-huh. like, what, what's, what's wrong with me in certain time periods of my life? I'm not as happy as I could be. And then when I start singing again, it's like, wow, this is one of the best things to do in the world. And especially with your siblings. Yes. Because there is nothing like other genetic material that's similar to yours, <laughs> for blend you know I mean yeah yeah. you and Kathy and Elizabeth and Jennifer and Natalia yeah you all worked together and made another, yeah they made another record and I I actually came across a little video I think it was of you and Elizabeth and you must have been in Hawaii and it was just the two of you singing and the blend and the warmth and the love that came through in this recording I'll just never forget because I just went oh my god they still sound great
1: (laughs) Oh, in fact,
0: you. they sound better than ever because of the life experience that they've had. You can hear it. You can feel it, you know, and you come back around full circle where you give yourself an, and tell me if I'm, if tell me if I'm right. You, you, you've taken time off to be able to take the business part and pry it loose from uh-huh. being embedded in the music part. And of course, now you're out on the road again and doing more tours and stuff like that. But um, it seems like the business part has a different place in your life. Is that right?
1: Yes, I, I, you you hit it right in the head. Um, you put your priorities in the right place the older you get. You just learn from your mistakes before. And when you're a kid, when you're 12, it's really hard when the producer says, "What what is your take on this? You know, what is your, it's like, well, I don't know. Just tell me <laughs> how to sing. And they basically kind of produce you and say, hey, go up on this note. That would sound cute. You try it. And then you try a note. And they're like, perfect. And then they, you know, record it. It's a keeper. But the older you get, it really has to come from a authentic place. So it's true. The older you get, you just really. And I've noticed that the older you get, you're more willing to be. um, You're, you're more bold because you've been through stuff. Right. So then you're not afraid to express it with your voice. And it's true. All singers, um, when you're young. Uh, it's really easy to just let everybody else produce you because at 12, they, you know, producers ask you, what's your take on this song? And you're kind of like, well, I don't know. Just tell me how to sing it. And that's kind of how we would do it when we first came out. But the older you get, the more experience you have, the more you're willing to take on. And you're, you've you've been through stuff. So you, you're more brave and you're more bold at how you're going to express yourself. Um, so yeah, the older you get, I think it just starts to get embedded in the way you sing. I started singing with Gladys Knight's Gospel Choir. Um, she would sit and tell us things, and then she would show us how she sings it, and all of us would sit there and just in awe, staring at her because her voice has so much um, depth in it. But it wasn't just that she had like learned a technique; you could hear the emotion in her voice. And when she mm-hmm. said, "I need you to moan right there," don't you feel that note? Listen to that word. You need to bring it alive. You are telling a story. Um, yeah, I think as vocalists, the older you get, the more you are. You've earned that. You've earned your stripes because you've been through some stuff. And for those singers that I believe are, are still out there looking for their dream, my worry is, and I have a lot of, you know, young nieces and nephews that want to try it out in music. My worry is if they never make it, are they going to beat themselves up? And my thing is the you know, when I tell their parents, they're like, what, what advice could you give your daughter? I just, I always say, remember to make her believe in herself no matter what Mm -hmm. let let her love her voice so much that if it never hits radio she's so tuned in to who she is that she's at peace there's some people that just live for what everybody else says and if they don't get to win it in the world they just feel like they were you know they they were cut short and then they just throw it away and say oh i could never be that but if they own it that they can. no one can take that away from them no one can take that unique thing that they have. That's right. That's that's
0: exactly, that's exactly right. And think of how many, I mean, I always talk to my students about how, you know, in the Olympics, how many people win the medal? Three, mm-hmm. right? How many people are on the team? And how many people tried out for that team? Oh, true. And then how many people thought maybe they would want to, be, you know, like there's all these people underneath those three people that in the world's eyes didn't win. But I hope they know that they did yeah, because they tried and they learned a ton from doing it and they changed their bodies and their minds for the better. And who knows what they can do with those gifts to help other people later on in life, you know? So true. Uh, for singers mm-hmm. that I hope it's the, I, I hope that it can be the same way. I'm, and that's what I, I, uh, I mean, your advice is just so spot on. In fact, I think I'm just going to write it down. and. <laughs> <laughs> and hand it to people when they ask me, "What what should I do? What should I do about my you know my niece, my daughter, my grandchild that wants to be uh, an artist of any kind?" Actually, yeah, because um, yeah. it's a soul enterprise, you know.
1: It and actually, totally it's a life is.
0: enterprise. It's a life learning. It's it's not just about music. At at a certain point, it's about how to live your life. Yes. And if you're looking for external validation you'll be able to find it
1: but if you have it inside you can do so much more right and you can and it never leaves you i mean whatever skill set you've been able to hone and make yours make it your own you take that with you and no one else can take it away from you you created that you made that you you worked so hard for it and it's really your own unique voice
0: yep and you'll always have it and it will always continue to grow too if you're in relationship with it in that kind of way where you're treasuring it and you're, and you're protecting it actually from yes. the outside world in a way.
1: I, I, yeah, I will definitely say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
0: No, well, my last question in, in every interview is going to be, uh, is there one thing you'd like to share with other singers out there about how to live their best, most authentic vocal life? But I think you've just answered that question.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like probably, yeah. If, I think it was in there. So.
0: Yep. Definitely. Definitely in there. I don't even need to ask that one. I'm, I am a little curious, though, we might cut this one in a little a little earlier in the conversation when we're talking about your earlier career, because um, mm-hmm. I read an interview where you talked about the difference between singing live versus singing in the studio mm-hmm. and how they were so different. And I had a similar experience when I first started recording where I'd been playing clubs for, you know, five years or something when we did our first record. And when I got in the studio, I just did not know what I was doing. And it it sounded different, and I was nervous, (laughs) and, you know, I was stilted. And um, anyway, they're like two different art forms. And I'm wondering if you can share with us what your experience in the studio was like and and how studio and live, you know, is different.
1: Well, I'll I'll tell you a, a very personal experience that happened to me because my sister Elizabeth was the lead singer on the Jets hits, You Got It All and Make It Real. And I was, like I had mentioned before, I was kind of her sidekick, um, her confidant. um, And I could sing, but not as well as her. But the producer had me in the studio and said, why don't you take this line? Liz, take a break and we'll have you come in. And I got in there to do my part. And he forgot to, after I was done, he said, we're going to take a listen back. But he forgot to unmute his button or mute it. Oh, no. Oh, no. They played it back. And I heard him say, holy crap, she sounds terrible. Just sounds nothing like her sister and I just stood there kind of like frozen because I, I was hitting the notes I couldn't do them as well as her and uh, they didn't hear me say anything I just kind of buttoned up my lip and they said well okay we're gonna take a break and uh, we'll be back and I went to the bathroom and cried it out and I was just like I mean you're 11 12 years old and you can't really I couldn't sing that was devastating she yeah oh my god did, <laughs> yeah it was it was like they didn't even know that they were speaking and I could hear them. And I walked out and went to the bathroom and cried it out. And then I was telling Liz, I go, I can't sing for anything. I just, I don't have what you have. And uh, she told me, she said, I've never wanted to sing. It's I've just been so good at it. I'm too shy. You hear you have the personality, but you want to sing and I'm the one that doesn't want to sing. But back in the day, you know, you're in front of a microphone and it's so uncomfortable because they're making you do lines over and over and over Mm -hmm. where at least live, you just lay it out there, you give it your best shot and then it's gone. It's in the wind. Um, But when the, you know, the producers are saying you got to do it over because this is going to be played on radio for 10, 20, 30 years. You want to be able to make it perfect. Um, The pressure to do it is like another monster. You starts weighing on you heavily on the way you Oh, shucks. I'm going to do the line again. And it reminds me of the movie La Bamba when Richie Valens is saying, well, let's do, you know, he's doing his part. And they're like, do it again. And you start not making it natural. And they're like, okay, you were on tune, but now you're off timing. Great. You're on timing. But now I don't, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel the emotion. You start, uh, you know, you start having this mental breakdown because you can't do the dumb line. Um, but anyway, i kind of added two things in one. I, I, took that experience I had with that producer and I challenged myself that I could do it. And I would listen to every Whitney Houston tape and mimic every single change in her voice, the bends, the twists. And then I became a big Mariah fan and I would, all of her first records, I would just sit, dream love, dream love, like just bend every note and just Mm -hmm. perfect it. I think I stumbled on one interview with Luther Vandross And they asked him, you know, something like, you know, give us some tips. He goes, be a great copycatter. And I was like, wait, I need to do that. Michael Jackson used to love James Brown and he learned every James Brown move and then he became even better. And so I think I took what I had heard that was negative and I flipped it. And I had a sister who was really my confidant and gave me her belief and just said, you can do this. You can You just take your time. Learn it. So I wasn't one of those that was born with this natural gift of sing. I had the two left feet in the family, but I had enough potential to know that I could do it if I just focused on it. Wow. And uh, but yeah, the recording. Yeah, the recording part is always a, it's a monster. It's a whole nother thing you have to get over and you have to kind of be confident enough to I don't know, you know, you're insecure when you're that young and when they tell you you're flat, you're sharp you start thinking everything's wrong that you're doing and you can't get it out. You can't record it. Yeah. Um, You know, give yourself a break and, you know, it's tough. Yes. It's, it's, it's really tough.
0: And um, it sounds like, ah, I have so many thoughts all jumbled up waiting to come out (laughs) in response to this. First of all, what a beautiful thing that you and Elizabeth have this, Symbiotic re- relationship where you really support the parts of each other that are stronger than your own and the parts of each other that are weaker than your own um gifts. It's a blessing.
1: Definitely a blessing. Dude. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you did the, you you absolutely um I mean, I've I've been there. I've been in the studio and had to go in the bathroom and cry it out and then put my big girl pants back on and go back in and try again with shattered you know Mm self-esteem because of something that had just happened and I don't feel like I was a natural singer either my mom was an opera singer so I always had this incredible voice to sort of contrast myself with and I just I didn't even want to be a singer when I you know (laughs) because she was so amazing so the fact that you went in and started just copying I think people think that they have to be authentically themselves And never
1: sound like anybody
0: else. But that's not how we learn. I mean,
1: that's not how we learn to talk. We have to take what we love and embrace it. And it's just like everyone who wants to be like Michael Jordan, they study his moves. They do his layups. They Mm -hmm. do his shot. They want to go and dunk the ball. And then eventually, because we're individuals, we're always going to have our our unique something about us that's unique. So, yeah, I mean, you, you imitate or you embrace who you love and admire. Until you find your own niche. And then eventually you find your own little voice in there.
0: Yeah. And, and it's like learning a vocabulary. You copy all these other licks and you make them your own. And then you put them together in a way that's like putting together your own sentences out of the words that you've learned
1: You know? Yeah. You almost stand on the shoulders of the people that you love and admire until you can fly off on your own and do it, do it yourself. So what are you doing now?
0: <laughs> what's, what's happening with you in, in, in your current incarnation as a singer?
1: As a singer, you know, I've been so occupied with raising six children that when we started getting the opportunity to perform again, um, it was kind of like, wait, what? You guys want to hear the Jets again? Um, because we kind of buried it away. And it was, I mean, it was not an embarrassing thing, but you're always like, oh, God, that was so long time ago. But we started getting opportunities to work again as the Jets. And people started celebrating that, and I so we started working with groups like yourself and other artists, and like we were celebrating them. Like that was really a great time, and um, it actually gave me an outlet because you forget that you're still an authentic person on your own. You're not just a mom that's raising kids, or you lose yourself in that life and forget that you're a person. So right now, I mean, I, I've always been a songwriter with my husband, and always we've written gospel R and B you know, country music, reggae music, and that was always a nice outlet. But to actually get out and perform again and feel the energy of people my age or during the time that we performed, it's almost like a nice way to say, wow, I did something that was amazing. And look, it's still bearing fruit. Like we took a little break. Um, but that's what I'm doing now is um, I'm still focused on my family and, my, and being a wife and a mother. But I'm enjoying the fact that I, I am a unique person that kind of picked up this business and made it our own business again. And um, kind of every time we take that moment to go on the road, it's kind of like uh, like it's a little reward. We run away in a weekend and do this, and we get to meet people and travel places we'd been to before, but I'd never really embraced and take it in a little better.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you're doing it again, because I know that feeling that you're talking about. You're standing on the side of the stage watching these other acts and, and hearing these songs that you haven't heard in years and years. And it just, um, I appreciate it all more than I ever have. And uh, and I, I appreciate how it feels among all these musicians that we're on these shows with, too, because it's kind of like a high school reunion where it's, it's, it's <laughs> decades later and everybody's, yeah. you know, first of all, we're all just glad we're alive and we've made it right. this far. And isn't it amazing <laughs> that, you know, that these songs are still loved by people. And that is an incredible thing. Um, I have one more question for you. It's not a deep question at all, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's an important (laughs) question because I think, um, I want to, I want to give singers on this show, uh, a combination of, of why people have done what they've done and what they've done and then how they've done it, you know? So, um, this is in the how, Category. Okay. How do you keep your performances fresh? <laughs> How do you keep your performances fresh when you're singing the same material most of the time? Boy,
1: that's a good question. I think for me, you go to a new place, it's like you're giving them a new experience. If I could keep that in my mind, that I'm not in the same place twice. These are new these are new people that I haven't heard heard it, then I think I, I take a better approach. If I'm like, oh, I just gotta get over this so we can go back to the hotel, I don't feel well then I'm going to have that kind of a show. But if I can kind of remember, you know, it's their first time to see us in a long time, or they have never seen us, then it puts me in the right place to project myself the best I can so that they have a moment. And I don't want to waste people's time. I don't want them to come in and say, well, that was a waste of my last 15 minutes of my life. Mm -hmm. I want them to at least say when they had a moment with me as a singer or with my family that we gave them a really good 15 minutes or whatever amount of time that is a lot of us that, uh, you know, you give them the best. Um, cause then you walk away, just feel like you could fly home and then you take your kids out and say, Hey, we had a great trip. Let's go get something to eat, catch a movie you just feel, I don't think anyone feels any better when they give everything they got.
0: Right. And you then know? you can go back to the laundry and right.
1: be like, I did my <laughs> <Yeah>. work. <laughs> I did my best, not have me the colors. I did my yeah. best.
0: <laughs> well, I happen to know that uh, from being in the audience when you do your show that you project a lot of joy and a lot of love and I really appreciate what you do and how you do it. So, and why you do it, thank cuz I think that is Thank you. that that comes across, that comes across. Well, Moana, I I we could have so many more conver- hour long conversations. <laughs> I I mean, there's just so (laughs) many things to talk about because we haven't even hit the whole you know how do you be a mom while you're doing this stuff and and that whole thing which is you know something that I know people struggle with
1: yes yes that'll be something when you you decide to do females that you can say we're gonna do a whole thing on parenting and the business (laughs) yes yes
0: exactly how do you how do you combine those things to make your own vocal life I'm so glad that you are um, out there doing music again and uh i love your voice again uh, same with you valerie it's great to hear you even talking here today so um thanks again for doing this with me that's it for this episode of living a vocal life you'll find complete show notes for each episode videos of my guests and more offerings for singers at valeriedaysings.com I'd also love to hear from you. So please let me know what you found useful in this conversation and what you'd like to hear more of in episodes to come right there on my website. If you like what you've heard, consider sharing with a friend. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you go for podcasts. Better yet, leave a review. This podcast is new, so the more reviews, the easier it will be for others to find it. Until next time, be well, keep singing, and thanks for listening.